we have the expectation or the hope, really, I should say, that everybody at Redeemer would be involved in three things. Uh, and I, I wanted to reiterate that to you before uh, Ted comes and uh, leads us through what everybody, does everybody have a handout, by the way? Yes? We'll get you one. That's okay. Anyway, it's our hope everyone would be involved in three things. Number one, corporate worship, which is obviously Sunday mornings. Uh, and, and by be involved, I mean regularly be attending corporate worship, right? Participating in the life of the church through corporate worship. Secondly is daily private worship, which is comprised of typically, right, reading the scriptures, uh, the CBR journal, which is the black journal that we've been talking about for most of the year, and we'll continue to talk about it. Uh, we probably sound like broken records, but, you know, that, that's... That's typically how it goes with habits that you're trying to form. You just talk about them over and over and over again. Um, daily private worship consists of reading the scriptures and praying. We are blessed in the sense that we have two resources very close to us that we would like to increasingly use to equip and uh, utilize within our congregation to help us understand, uh, practice, and experience uh, the wonder of God through his word and through talking to him. One of those is Ted Sin, who's here tonight. Uh, he came in May and talked to community group leaders about another piece of this. This is a different piece. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the other piece of that is a prayer, and we have Bob Allums in our church. So Ted lives in Orlando, has a lot of uh, connections to Trinity and to the Renew Polk Network. But then we have Bob Allums in our, in our church, who's like uh, a prayer, what do you call it? Guru. Right? Like you all read or heard of the autobiography of a yogi, that, uh, that Buddhist thing uh, or transcendental movement thing. Uh, you know, Bob is a, a prayer guru. But I say that to say we're, <laughs> right, we're blessed because both of them are near us and we want to utilize both of them increasingly to help us, both within our uh, congregation here at Redeemer City and then in the broader network that we're a part of as, as Renew Polk. Uh, and so to that end, uh, we want to regularly be interacting with them. Vision Dinner is obviously one place we can do that. There are others that we're going to continue to explore. But I want you to hear that uh, because uh, I don't want you to think that we're doing this happenstance or, or, or just for fun, right? Like just picking things out of the air. It's very strategic. It's very intentional what we're trying to do. The third thing is small group, okay? So corporate worship private worship, small group. At the very least, if you're involved in those three things, we believe you're going to build a foundation from which you can grow and begin to, uh, uh, yeah, be a disciple and become a discipler, okay? So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to that end, uh, we're here tonight and Ted has come to um, uh, walk us through this, okay? So, uh, Ted, Without further ado, just wanted to remind you guys of that as we get uh, as we get started. Good evening. I feel as though things are very lopsided. I don't know. I don't know what we can do about that. You're doing a good job over there, but we're not doing it by weight. We're doing it just by number. And I didn't mean that. Somebody took that as a as a slight on Timo, and I did not mean it that way. Well. I'm excited about being here. I'm excited that y'all are close. Um, as, as Jonathan said, my name is Ted Sin. I live in Orlando, Florida. About 15 years ago, though, my wife and I moved to Lakeland, where I had the honor of being an associate pastor at Trinity Presbyterian for five years. So I know some of you from the overlap in those chapters of our lives. Uh, for about eight years, I was the lead pastor. Uh, very, I had a very similar role to Drew. We had a multi-congregation church in Orlando um, that the Lord uh, was gracious to allow us to, to plant. And then after about eight years of doing that, my wife and I felt like God was moving us on to the next chapter of our lives where I would get to spend more time training church planters. I would get to spend more time uh, hanging out with church planting churches and helping them think about uh, how to be more healthy and how to plant churches out of 
health and not just vision. And then we felt like God was calling us to spend about five days a month uh, stewarding and supporting the CBR Journal. And so that's what we're here to talk about tonight is the Community Bible Reading Journal. For those of you that have been around for a while, Community Bible Reading was an initiative that Tim uh, Strawbridge, uh, Timo, and several other elders and elders' wives uh, launched over 10 years ago at Trinity. When that happened, I was an associate pastor there, as I said. And when I went to go plant a church in Orlando, I thought everyone would just fall in love with CBR like I had. It had been so impactful to me, reading the Bible, uh, doing it in community, just walking through the scriptures. It had, even as an associate pastor, it, it had changed my life. And it was very impactful. And I got over to um, Orlando and realized that not everyone um, was as keen on the idea of participating in, in community Bible reading. So we, about six years ago, um, we printed the first version of the CBR journal, and we printed it just for our little church in Orlando as a way to try to help folks participate more and more in community Bible reading and as a way to try to help us um, uh, remove some of the roadblocks that we found were getting in people's way as they, as they were trying to pick up momentum uh, in community Bible reading. And so the Lord has decided just through life on life, just through uh, relationship, the Lord has decided without any promotion from us or any marketing, uh, all we've really ever done is, is provide really bad customer service. Um, the Lord has provided, uh, decided to use this tool and um, literally... Um, we're in about seven countries now. Um, we have four, there are four translations of the journal and the resources that we're creating. Um, we, I would say conservatively there's about 30,000 people that utilize the, the CBR journal now. And so I don't want to work six days uh, a month on it because that might mess it up. So I work about five days a month providing really bad customer service. So one of the things um, uh, 20 months ago when I transitioned out of my role at New City, uh, one of the things I began to pray very regularly, I don't want to say every day because that's probably not true, but I would say very regularly, I began to pray that God would give us a million participants utilizing the CBR journal. Um, and I just felt like that's something worth praying for. Um, if we could have a million people listening to God in his word, rehearsing the gospel, thinking about who they are and what, how their story applies to God's story, if we could have a million people doing that, I felt like that would be something worth pursuing. So as I've been spending time literally around the world uh, checking in on the CBR Journal family, I'm finding that a lot of people begin utilizing the CBR Journal, but we also have quite a few people that stop utilizing the CBR Journal. And uh, that probably won't come as a surprise to you. It doesn't really come as a surprise to me either. That's the story of my life. And so I began to, to wonder why are folks, if we're using a path analogy, why are people getting off the path? Like, why aren't they staying on the path? Does that make sense? And I, I just started to ask people, why, why have you stopped utilizing the CBR journal? Or, or maybe that helped you learn how to read the Bible in a gospel-centered way, and now you're reading the Bible in a gospel-centered, prayer-filled, spirit-led way, and you don't need it anymore. And I wasn't hearing a whole lot of, that's what, not a whole lot of people saying, yeah, that's what happened. Um, and so I began to ask myself, why aren't people who bought into the idea that it would be beneficial to them to read the Bible every day, rehearse the gospel, commune with God, <laughs> why aren't they doing it anymore? And so I began to listen, and I began to hear the same things over and over. And so what we decided to do is we decided we would create workshops uh, specifically aimed at those roadblocks that were causing people to either stop along the path or lose momentum along the path. Um, the, the first workshop is called Expectation. This is workshop three. The, the first workshop is called Expectation, and it is all about, we got it, it's fine, it's right there. Uh, it, it is all about learning how to be filled with expectation and hope when looking into the Old Testament, because it's all about Jesus. So the number one reason that I found folks stopped reading the Bible on a regular basis was uh, the Old Testament. I just didn't know what to do with it. And that's a tragedy. Uh, because God wrote the Old Testament over several thousand years to make a big deal about Jesus. And if we're reading the Old Testament with fear and trepidation instead of excitement and expectation, we're not listening to what the Bible says about the Bible, which is that it's about Jesus and not us. Does that make sense? 
So that's the first workshop. We're not doing that tonight, so don't get too excited about expectation. That's another time, right? Yeah, amen. All right. The second is surrender. Ironically, the second reason is related to the first, I believe, but the second reason is it became ritualistic. The reading became ritualistic, and, and, and honestly, men didn't like being confused. Go figure. And so I began to think about the fact that the Bible says about the Bible that it's going to be confusing at times, right? That if the infinite, eternal, all-wise, perfect God is going to try to communicate with a lot like us, there's going to be some confusion. Like there's going to be some misunderstanding on our part. Does that make sense? And so I was like, so the enemy has decided uh, to take God's revelation of himself and his salvation of us, which will keep getting better forever. So you understand, right? we will forever increasingly enjoy God and the gospel. So we have to be somewhat confused right now. That's, that's sort of, that's part of it. If we're not somewhat confused right now, why would we want to go and be in the new heavens and new earth and keep thinking about it forever? Does that make sense? So we wrote the, the surrender workshop, which is just all about the Bible is living and active, that, that the Bible, uh, when we read it in faith, is being read to us by God. It is his word. It's his message. It's, it's his communication to us. And so the surrender uh, module is really all about making our Bible reading relational with the Lord and making it, um, I, I don't want to say dialogical, because really in the surrender module, we just talk an awful lot about learning to listen to the Bible instead of studying the Bible. And then in that, when we're confused, uh, we remind ourselves what the Bible says about the Bible and why we should be a little confused. Does that make sense? So obstacle number one, Old Testament, trying to remove that. Obstacle number two, confusion and ritualistic reading of the Bible, tried to remove that. Um, this module is about community. Okay, so this module isn't so much removing an obstacle as it is trying to put a tailwind at your back in your Bible reading. That I, I've become convinced um, that our daily Bible reading is, is far more beneficial to us if we'll do it in community than if we don't. I've become convinced that the transformation that God will do through our Bible reading is, is greater and, um, and I would almost think exponentially greater if we do it in community than if we don't. Um, like I, I, I'm convinced that our, our dialogue about our daily Bible reading is as important as our daily Bible reading. You hear that? I'm utterly convinced that our dialogue, our interaction, our bearing witness about our daily Bible reading is as important. It's not more important, but it's as important as our daily Bible reading. And that, that might sound um, somewhat demotivating. If you're like, well, I'm not even reading the Bible yet on a daily basis. Uh, to, to hear that not only is reading the Bible on a daily basis very beneficial to us, but also uh, and I would say critical to us, but also then interacting uh, in and around that Bible reading with other people in our gospel community is as critical, okay? But hopefully by the end of the time we have together, um, we'll be encouraged in this. We'll understand why I'm making such a wild claim as that, and uh, we'll even give some thought to how we can endeavor towards receiving the word as a gospel community and not just a privatized, isolated individual, are you with me? Okay, so that's what we're, that's what we're endeavoring to do tonight. These community, these workshops are, are made for 120 minutes. Are you excited? Very? Okay. With a long break in the middle to get a drink and go to the restroom. So the handout you have, we're not even, we can't even begin to try to get through all of it tonight. Okay, because from what I understand, how, how much time do we have? I can't see that clock back there. From right now, how much time do we have? Okay, we have 25 minutes. So we can't even begin to, to go through the whole workshop. So what I want to do is I want to just tell you about the workshop from 50,000 feet, and then I just want to jump in into one section of the workshop, okay, which is about 25 minutes. 
So if you look at the top of the handout that we provided for you, the top of the handout uh, says this. It says, this is the big idea for the workshop. Based on what the Word teaches about community, uh, we endeavor to receive the Word daily in a gospel community. Okay? So on the one hand, I could just say to you, Colossians 3 tells us to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. So I could just say, look right there. The Bible says that we're supposed to let the Bible dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. Let's do that. But instead of just jumping into that being the application, I think that we might be better served to say, what does the Bible say about community, which would motivate God to write Colossians 3 and say to us, y'all let it dwell in you richly. Does that make sense? Okay, so instead of just kind of giving a proof text for, hey, we should be reading the Bible together, what I want to do is I want to kind of start from 50,000 feet and say, what does the Bible say about community to give more weight and to give more impact and to give more uh, glory, if you will, to that verse in Colossians 3 among, among others. And so this workshop is broken down this way. Section 1, what does the Word teach about community? You see that there? And then section 2 is how can we endeavor to receive the Word daily in a gospel community? We're not going to get to section 2 tonight, but what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, this section 1. What does the Word teach about community? So in this first section, I think that the Word uh, teaches us three things about community, that if we truly wrap our minds and our hearts around what the Word says about community, uh, we will begin to see that our interacting about our private Bible reading is as important as our private Bible reading. Make sense? Okay, so I want us to see that uh, we steward a vital power in each other's lives. I want us to see why we steward uh, this vital power in each other's lives, and I want us to see how uh, we primarily steward uh, this vital power in each other's lives. Okay, so 50,000 feet, 50,000 feet, 1.1 here. I want us to see that we steward a vital power in each other's lives. Okay? So the word vital, why do I pick vital? It's a synonym to critical, and critical sounds negative. But, I'm, but they both technically mean the same thing. Like when the doctor checks your vital signs, the doctor is checking to see how much life you have in you. So when I say vital, I mean critical. I mean life and death. Okay, so I want us to see from the Bible that we steward a life and death power in each other's lives. So look at, at Proverbs 13, 20. Uh, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Okay, so the Bible is saying, if you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. If you want to suffer harm and be a fool, hang out with foolish people. That your community, who you spend time with, who you walk down the road with, who you journey with, has a massive impact on who you are as a human being. Okay, are you with me? And so it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This is, this is a truism, okay? So the Proverbs aren't promises, but the Proverbs are sort of hyperbolic statements about how things normally work out. So ordinarily... People that hang out with wise people become more wise. And ordinarily, people who hang out with fools become foolish. Such is the power that we wield in one another's lives. Okay? Keep reading. Proverbs 18.21. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So if you hear that hanging out with foolish people will make you foolish, you might be tempted to say, well, I'm just going to hang out by myself. I'm going to isolate, right? But the only problem is this. When we live by ourselves to avoid fools, we live life with a fool. You with me? So the choice of staying away from foolish people and living by yourself is as foolish and as arrogant as hanging out with foolish people and thinking that you won't become a fool. All right? So the New Testament teaches that there's an incredible power in community as well. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. 
Bad company ruins good morals. So how are good morals built into a person? Good community. So past good community cannot withstand the power of present bad company. You hear that? Okay. Past good community cannot withstand the power of present bad company. Look at Hebrews 3, 12 and 14. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, so unfaithful heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence or our original faith firm to the end. Okay, so do you see what Paul's saying, or the author of Hebrews is saying? He's not, he's not just saying that, that, that well, I'll just, I'll just state, I'll state it specifically. He, he is saying that unless we have community preaching the gospel to our hearts on a daily basis, our hearts can become hardened to the gospel, filled with unbelief, and deceived by sin. Such is the power of community. Such is the, the vital power that we have in one another's lives. Does that make sense? So he's not saying you, you must exhort and encourage one another to not sin. He's saying you've got to exhort and encourage one another to believe the gospel. And you need that every day. Or you might find that you're one of those people that was in the visible church, but not the invisible church. Okay? Look at Luke 5.20. To me, this is one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible that speaks to uh, the power of community or the power that we steward in one another's lives. And when he, of course, it's talking about Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So without even remembering or knowing what story this is in the Bible, just look at that verse and think about it. You can see that Jesus did something amazing for a man because multiple people had faith for that man. Why do you keep, why you keep taking over my talk and getting ahead of me? It's exactly right. Yeah, you remember the story. The four friends have a paralyzed friend, and he's on a mat, and they can't get to Jesus because the, the living room's so crowded. They take the roof off, and they lower him down in front. But, but what does Jesus say? He doesn't say? He doesn't say, because you had faith, I forgive you. He says, because they had faith, I forgive you. If you go back and read, in fact, I'll read it for you. Listen to Luke. This is, these are verses 15 to 19 coming up to it. It's not, Jesus was not saying because the five of them had faith, he said your, your sins are forgiven. It's because the four of them had faith, he said your sins are forgiven. I would call that vital. Going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, God deciding to take him from a state of sinful and destined for wrath to forgiven and adopted into the family of God. Because the power of his friend's faith. Are you with me? That's vital. That's critical. That's life and death. So just listen. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of, of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some. Now watch how Luke contrasts the men to the man, the four to the one, okay? And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. It's the four. And what this is teaching us is, of course, that no one, no one, no one comes to know Jesus without someone else having faith for them before them. I'd say that's powerful. You name the person that's converted who some believer didn't believe for them before them. 
This is not to say that anyone's ever, ever been in relationship with Jesus who didn't experience faith in Jesus. This is not about whether or not the man had faith. It's about the power of the four for the man. You get that? Okay. Uh, I was flying back from Atlanta to Orlando um, about six, maybe, maybe more than six months ago. And I was sitting next to a man. He's actually a, a somewhat famous man uh, in Orlando. He leads uh, a large, uh, he, he leads a, a very influential nonprofit organization. He's a great leader. And we have some mutual friends. And he was, he was, he, we hadn't seen each other for a couple of years, but we used to spend a good bit of time together. And this man was asking me about my family. And I was just mentioning uh, how my daughter Maddie um, is, is, a, is a sophomore, and, and her guidance counselor at the school had set up uh, a time for her to spend an entire day with a representative from an Ivy League school. So Maddie is a, a good athlete, but she's an amazing student. And at the end of this day, basically this, this, this advocate from this Ivy League school made it apparent to her that if she wanted to be there, that she could be there, that that could be in her future. And that was kind of a wake-up call to me, like, that's my baby, and she's thinking about college, and it, and it started, and it was freaking me out, and uh, so I was telling this gentleman about that, and I was just like, you know, so this is a whole new thing for us, you know, I, I have no idea how to process this, we're, we're feeling really unprepared for the, this, is a huge decision, and he, he said, he said something to me that has stuck with me, and I think it's an incredible application of what we're talking about right now, okay, he said, I'll tell you what, this is what we discovered watching people ahead of us, you don't send your kids to a college and encourage them to find a church. You send your kids to a church and encourage them to find a college. You hear that? He said, how, how many high school seniors decide they're going to walk away from the faith their freshman year of college? Zero. No, no. They don't, as seniors in high school, decide, I will leave my faith in college. But a bunch of them do. And why? Community. That's exactly right. And his point was, he thought about leaders, he thought about leaders around the country that would take his kids into their family and into their church. And he said, you do need to leave this house and you, do, you need to continue your education. But the most important thing is for you to be in a gospel community. The second most important thing is for you to get an education. That's a man who has given serious thought to the vital power that we steward in one another's lives. Okay, you with me? 1.2, why? Why do we steward this vital power in each other's lives? Have you ever thought about why, and I mean this with all respect, why, why can't an abuse victim just say, oh, that just happened, it's over now. I don't care. Why? Well, no, the reason why is because as humans, we have incredible power in one another's lives. Even when you don't want someone else to have power in your life, they do. You follow me? Okay. So let's, think, let's ask the question, why do we steward this vital power in each other's lives? Look at A. This is why. Adam and Eve were created by an interdependent community. As an interdependent community, for an interdependent community. So, first of all, let me, identify, let me define my terms, okay? Independence is thinking that we don't need anyone else, okay? Overdependence is thinking that we need other people more than they need us. Interdependence is needing people while meeting those same people's needs. You catch that? So when I say that Adam and Eve were created by, as, for, interdependent community, I want you to know that that's the way I'm using the term. Interdependence is I need you while you need me. Interdependence is I'm going to meet your needs while you meet my needs, and sometimes they're the very same needs. Okay? So, so Adam and Eve were created by an interdependent community. Genesis 1.26, God said to his triune self, let us make man in our image. So God, Father, Son, and Spirit said, let us, plural, the eternal community, the eternal divine community said, let's make 
man in our image, okay? And so then in Genesis 2.18, it says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So you remember what's happening, right? God has given Adam his chores, and the fall hasn't happened yet. And Adam is not doing very well in his chores. He can't keep up with all of the proliferation of animals. And it doesn't say it's not good that Adam is lonely. It says it's not good that Adam should be alone. And then God makes Eve. But Adam and Eve are an interdependent community, so Eve has to understand from Adam what their calling was, but Adam couldn't come close to fulfilling that calling without Eve. Eve needed Adam while Adam needed Eve before the fall. You with me? That's interdependence. And then God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Basically, begin an interdependent community. Isn't it fascinating that he doesn't say to Adam and Eve, you have dominion over the humans that come after you. He doesn't say that. Who do they have dominion over? The animals. Because because it, it wasn't Adam's job to be... Adam and Eve weren't supposed to be independent from the rest of humanity. You with me? And the rest of humanity wasn't supposed to be overly dependent on Adam and Eve. They were supposed to build this massive, global, interdependent community. So why do we have so much power in one another's lives? Because God created us for interdependence. Okay, uh, B, interdependence was one of the first lessons that God taught his redeemed people. Do you remember what's happening in Exodus 16? God has pulled his people out of slavery. He's taken them through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. Remember what happens? What are we going to eat? And God's like, there's this thing called manna. I'm going to give it to you each and every day except for Saturday. And when you go out to collect the manna, what I want you to do is I want you to try and get an omer. Every person needs to get an omer, whatever that is. I want you to bring it in. And I want you to put it into one big pile as a community. You understand this is what it says in Exodus 16, right? I want you to put it in one big pile as a community. The elders will distribute it out. Whoever gathered too much had none left over, and whoever did not gather enough had no lack. That's Exodus 16, 18. Every day for 40 years, God had them, had them live interdependent to teach them that you're an interdependent community. Make sense? Okay, so you understand Exodus 16, 18 is quoted multiple times in the New Testament for how we're supposed to treat one another in the gospel community. Whoever gathered too much had none left over, and whoever did not gather enough had no lack because the elders took the resources and sent them out. Okay, you with me? So what is the primary metaphor for the church in the New Testament, is it in the land of promise or is it in the wilderness before the land of promise? Wilderness, right? Okay, now, sidebar. We normally talk about this in the second part of the second section of this workshop. You know why God said in Deuteronomy he had them meander around for 40 years and collect bread like that? To learn that to learn that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Basically, God said, the way you gathered physical food is how I want you to gather spiritual food. Your private daily Bible reading is not more important than your interacting with other people about your private daily Bible reading. Timo said this is one of the best things I've ever taught him. I've taught him two things. So it's probably not that good, but it's one of the best of the two I've taught them. I think God intends for us to do daily Bible reading and not get anything sometimes. Because he gave somebody else an omer and a half. And he wants us to go back together and talk about it. That's been my experience. Literally, in Deuteronomy, God said the reason we meandered around and did that for 40 years was to learn how to handle the Word of God. You need it every day, you need it in community. I'm going to give you a break on the Sabbath, which is why we don't have CBR on Sunday. Seriously. You with me? 
Okay, so back to, back to our, our little snappy handout here. C, Paul teaches that each gospel community is an interdependent community in Galatians 6, 1 to 10. So in that passage, if you read, Paul is talking about in dizzying fashion how the gospel community is to relate to one another on lots of different layers. But, but he says two things in Galatians 6. On the one hand, he says, I want you to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You remember that, right? But he also says everybody has to carry their own load. And so, like, the independent people are like, everybody has to carry their own load, right? And the overly dependent people are like, we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. So which is it? Yes, ma'am, of course, because it's in the Bible, so I believe it. But here's why it's both. Because the word for burden in the Greek was the load that a donkey would carry that no human could ever carry. And the word for, for load was the word for a backpack or a baby in the womb. And Paul's basically saying everybody has to carry their load, but sometimes God puts a burden on you that you cannot carry on your own, and you have to share that across the community. That's gospel community. Does that make sense? That's interdependence. So overdependence is I don't, have a, I don't have a backpack to carry. You guys carry my stuff for me. And independence is I'm ashamed of myself if I need your help. Interdependence is I go through seasons where I have more than I need so I can help you, and you go through seasons where you have more than you need so you can help me. And I'm not talking about money. That's a part of what we're talking about, but I'm just talking about the resources like prayer and grieving and celebrating, all those things the Bible says we're supposed to do together. And the reason is because God made us to be an interdependent community. Interdependence is not a result of the fall. It's where God's taking us to in the gospel. Okay? So D, think about the one another language of the New Testament. The one another language of the New Testament presumes and commands interdependence. So there are at least 46 positive one another commands in the New Testament. Love one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another. Look at this. We often have something we need that we can give to others but can't or shouldn't give to ourselves. I'm going to prove it to you. Wash one another's feet. I'll wash my own feet, thank you. No. I wash your feet, you wash my feet. I have the ability to wash feet, but I'm not supposed to wash my own feet. I'm supposed to wash your feet while you wash my feet. Okay? Pray for one another. I have the ability to pray, but I'm not supposed to spend all my prayer time on me. I'm supposed to spend some of it on you. And you're supposed to spend some of your prayer time on me. Okay? Keep going. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. I have the ability to stir someone up to love and good deeds. I can tell you this from experience. I'm far better at getting other people to be loving and to do good than I am for myself. So I have the power to stir someone up to love and good deeds, but it is almost completely ineffective on myself. And yet there are people in my life, when I'm around them, they stir me up to love, sacrifice, and good deeds. Okay? 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It does not say show hospitality to homeless people or people who are renting. Right? It says, you have a home and I have a home, and we're supposed to welcome one another into each other's homes. And he says, do it without grumbling because it's really hard. I'd rather just stay in my dirty home instead of cleaning it up for you to come over or have to come to your house and make you clean it up for me to come over. You with me? So all I'm saying is when we think interdependence, we might just think, oh, yeah, we have complementary gifts. We all have different gifts, and we're different parts of the body, and that's why we're interdependent, and that is true. But the Bible also says there are certain things that we can do that we shouldn't do for ourselves that we can do for other people, like exhort one another, teach one another, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You with me? In other words... Bearing witness to and interacting about our private Bible reading is as important as our private Bible reading. Okay? 1.3. 
how do we primarily steward this vital power in each other's lives? So look up from your notes. Some of you already read ahead so you don't get to talk. This gentleman up in the front here, I saw him before we came in. He read through it all. He was in agreement with most of it. That's, that's good, but I'm just joking. <laughs> don't look at your notes. What is the most powerful resource you have? Nope. I'm just going to start saying nope if it's not what I wanted you to say, even if it's right. <laughs> of all the resources you steward, like money, power, strength, by that I mean strength. Of all the resources you steward, what's the most powerful one biblically? Nope. Proverbs 18.21. The Bible doesn't say this about anything else you steward. Nothing else you steward does the Bible say this about it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your ability to communicate is the most powerful resource you have. So if you say, I'm dirt poor and they're rich, I can't do anything in the kingdom of God. Not true. If you say, they're brilliant and I'm not brilliant, I can't do what they can do. Not true. The Bible does not say about any other resource we steward what it says about our words. Keep reading. Proverbs 25:11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. The most precious resource, the most valuable resource you have. The Bible doesn't say that about any other resource you steward. Keep going. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Okay, keep going. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many times in my pastorate did God use me to bring healing into a young couple's lives as they were just bleeding out from what their parents had said to them in their youth. How many times did, did my wife and I sit across from uh, young women whose, whose husbands had verbally abused them and it's just like the life is just bleeding out of them? They would have preferred to have been stabbed with a real sword than to have those, those words pierced into them. And at the same time, God was healing them. God was renewing them. God was piecing them back together. How? Through the words of the wise. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, right? Anxiety in, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Uh, 16.24, gracious words, I love this. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. We steward, how do we steward this vital resource? Gracious words. Words of God's unconditional love. Words of the person and work of Christ on our behalf. You see that? The book of James also speaks of the tongue metaphorically as a bit, a rudder, and a spark. And of course, the point in James is that these small items have incredible, inordinate power. The bit is small but guides a horse. The rudder is small but steers a ship. Uh, the spark is the beginning of a fire that can devour an entire forest. Look at Ephesians 4. Uh, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. So in Ephesians 4, when, when Paul writes the truth, he's already, he's already established that what he means by that is the gospel. So, so Paul is saying, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the gospel with his neighbor, for we're members of one another, interdependence. Let no corrupting talk, no corrosive talk, no rusting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up is constructive, is strengthening, is life-giving, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What always fits the occasion? Grace. It's not like Paul is juxtaposing, sometimes you need to be really honest and hard, and sometimes you just need to be gracious. He's saying grace always fits the occasion, which can be hard, but it's still grace. You see that? <coughs> Excuse me. Colossians 3.16, I already mentioned this passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So how does the gospel dwell in you, live in you, and inhabit you, walk around inside of you abundantly and extravagantly and richly? How does that happen? 
not Drew teaching and admonishing you, not you teaching and admonishing someone else, not someone else teaching and admonishing you, but teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our interaction about our private Bible reading is as important as our private Bible reading. Okay? Hebrews 3.13, think about this again. Exhort one another, exhort. That is an aggressive word. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what that's saying, again, is that in and of myself, my heart can be hardened to the glorious grace of the gospel if you all don't grab me by the scruff of the neck and exhort me to stay faithful to Jesus. Not exhort me to be obedient, not exhort me to do better than I did yesterday, but exhort me to stay soft to the gospel. You get that? Every day, as long as it's called today. That's every day. Okay, so when my girls were probably third and fourth grade, Maddie and Riley, I heard a horrific scream coming through the monitor. You know those monitors that you have one down here that tells you what's going on up here? And so almost always when that happened, it was Riley doing something to Maddie. So Riley is 18 18 months younger, but she's decades ahead uh, when it comes to controlling people and and, and hurting people and other things. She's, she's good at it as I am almost. But, but I thought for sure that Riley had done something to Maddie. But on this occasion, Riley came running down the stairs and her cheek was red and it was actually bleeding a little bit. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody hurt Riley. This is amazing. And I, I was like, what happened? And she only told me one half of the story because, you know, the proverb says everybody's right until the other side comes, right? So she said, Maddie pinched me. This has never happened before. I've never been able to spank Maddie for doing something wrong, only for doing something right and being proud about it. So this is amazing. So Maddie, of course, did not come down of her own accord. They never do. You have to go find them, right? And, And she knew she had done wrong, maybe. And I was like, baby, why did you do that to Riley? Because part of me thought maybe Riley did it something to deserve it. And and I was, I was very inquisitive. Why did you, She goes, well, she was in the mirror for about five minutes trying to fix her hair, and I kept telling her she was beautiful, and she wouldn't listen to me. I would call that exhorting. <laughs> I mean, that, that's essentially what's going on in Hebrews 3, is God saying, whatever you have to do, be as aggressive as you have to be to make the gospel absolutely true to someone so that they keep believing it. And you need that every day of your life. You catch that? All right, that's the end of section one, which means that we're at the end of our time, which I think works out because this is when you told me to be done, right? Okay, I want you to know in the last three minutes how we designed the CBR journal to try to help you interact over your daily Bible reading and not just have daily Bible reading. After all, it was called community Bible reading from the very beginning. The first thing we did is we created a reading schedule. It's really hard to talk to someone about your Bible reading if they're reading some other part of the Bible. It's possible, but we just found if people read the same passage and then someone bears witness to what God did in their life, that, that's just so much more valuable to somebody because they have the context, they have the story, they read it themselves. Maybe they weren't impacted in the same way, but they're, they're ready for that conversation. So the first thing we did is we, we, we put a schedule here so that we could all be on the same page. And again, that was, that was the whole idea of community Bible reading. A big one is let's read the same thing so that the Bible readers can try to get other people into reading the Bible. Okay, so that was, uh, that, that's the first thing we did. Uh, the second thing we did um, is we made the, the flow um, of, of, the, of the journaling guide, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We, we wanted you rehearsing the gospel in your private Bible reading so that you could preach the gospel in your community. 
it's not likely that you're going to give gracious words to people if you're not practicing gracious words in your private Bible reading. Does that make sense? So I'm, I don't think you can preach the gospel to yourself. I know that's popular lingo. I th- in fact, I think it's biblically impossible to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, believe the gospel. By, by its very nature, it's news to someone else. By its very nature, it's a proclamation of something you've experienced that you want them to experience. That's the whole point of euangelion. So what we do is we rehearse the gospel in our Bible reading so that we can preach the gospel in our community. So to save me from reading the Bible and feeling good about it and telling you about it, we made the confession box right here. But to save me from despair, Thanksgiving box comes next. Does that make sense? So honestly, when people were like, why, did you, why do you do this in the journaling guide? I'm, I'm like, it's, I'm, it's just to save us from ourselves when we interact about the Bible and to make it as gracious as we possibly can. Does that make sense? And then at the bottom it says, prepare for gospel community. How has God impacted you the most through today's passages? If someone says to you, what did you get out of CBR? That's the sentence you want to give them. Not, well, in the adoration box, I notice how in the Hebrew this could mean this. It's like this was what was really radioactive to me as I was listening to the Holy Spirit read to me the Scriptures. Does that make sense? And so just, I know it's, I know it's simple and it's trivial, but we, we have found that if, if folks will prepare something here, they could even proactively text that to other people. They could even proactively call somebody and say it to them and say, I love you, talk to you later, bye, and hang up the phone. That it doesn't have to be the things in the passage that confuse them. It doesn't have to be the things in the passage that prove that predestination is right. It doesn't have to be everything from every box. It can just be what was most impactful. So you understand, of course, that, that the New Testament church went from Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria and into the ends of the earth. You know, you know how, right? I know the right answer is church planning because that's how we get people to pay for the vision. But it, it's not. It's actually from disciples bearing witness. There's way more in the book of Acts about disciples bearing witness to what God's doing in their lives than to a, a strategy for church planning and zip codes. You will need to church plan and zip codes if the disciples start to bear witness to what God's doing in their lives. Does that make sense? Okay, let me pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be together. Uh, I don't think we said anything new tonight, but I'm hoping that what we said might stir us up by way of reminder Uh, to to faithfulness in you, uh, to love uh, for one another, and and for the service uh, of our our neighbors. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take tonight and that you would um, not allow the enemy to pluck uh, this word from our hearts, that you would take this word and give us the faith to protect it and to build a fence around it and to water it and to really think about it and to meditate upon it and to ask you to lead us into what does it look like to move forward uh, with confession and faith and obedience in this regard. Uh, Lord, I pray that you be with my friends here uh, at Redeemer and, and um, in this, this network of churches in Polk County. I just pray that you would uh, give the leaders the desire of their heart that more and more uh, men, women, and children uh, would meet with you privately and listen to you in your word and then move out into their community and interact uh, with their community around your word. Lord, we, we believe that this would be glorifying to you. We believe this would be really good for us. We believe this could be salvific for our neighbors. And so in your name we pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen.